Welcome to the Yoga Hour, offering insights and practices for spiritually conscious living in today's world. Here is your host, Dr. Laurel Trujillo. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, where we talk about yoga in all its depth and breadth as a path to spiritually conscious, fulfilled living in today's world. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, host and producer of the show. Today, we're going to be discussing how we can ready ourselves to contribute to the great shift needed for social and ecological change. I am really delighted to be joined today by Dr. Chris Johnstone. Dr. Johnstone is a physician and co-author with Joanna Macy of the book we're going to discuss today, Active Hope, How to Face the Mess We're In with Unexpected Resilience and Creative Power. Chris is the is a co-director of ActiveHope.Training, a nonprofit organization offering online courses that help people grow their own resilience and increase their capacity to make a difference in the world. His online classes and programs now reach thousands of people with participants in more than 60 countries. An activist since his teenage years, Chris first encountered Joanna Macy's work while he was a medical student in London. He's been a trainer in her program, The Work That Reconnects, and has, close, and has worked closely with her for more than three decades. He now lives in Scotland. Chris Johnstone's co-author on the book Active Hope is Joanna Macy, a respected voice in the movements of peace, justice, and ecology, a well-known author and founder of The Work That Reconnects, which helps people transform despair and apathy into constructive collaborative action. Chris Johnstone's website are chrisjohnstone.info and activehope.info, and Joanna Macy's website is joannamacy.net. These websites will be on our website, theyogahour.com. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, Chris Johnstone. I'm delighted you could join me today on the podcast. Thank you, Laurel. It's a pleasure to be here. So before we dive into our dialogue about making a difference and the ways that we can reframe perhaps how we look at what's happening in the world, making ourselves more of a citizen of that world and how we can do that together. First, let's have, a, a, as usual, our yoga moment, a moment of present moment awareness. So let's begin just by bringing our attention to our body in space. Whatever we're doing, whether we're sitting or standing, walking, just feeling our bodies in space, and in particular, feeling any surface that is supporting our weight is feeling how much of our weight is resting on that surface. And now, turning our attention to the breath and just noticing as we take a fully conscious breath, the next inhale and exhale. Not trying to change the natural flow of our breathing, just noticing each inhale, each exhale. 
Noticing the cool air in the nostrils on the next inhale. And then feeling how that air has been warmed on the exhale. Then as we rest here, right where we are, here's something to contemplate. Teaching from Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien, the founder and spiritual director of the Yoga Hour, from her book, Living for the Sake of the Soul. We are called to rise in great and small ways throughout our life. We never know the extent of our divine potential until a time or a situation arrives that both requires it of us and allows it to come forth. Everything, all of our experiences, our so-called successes and failures, brings us to such a moment of divine potential. When we witness grace in action, coursing through our life like a mighty river, any doubts we may have had about the greater reality are dispelled. We are lifted up, carried to a new understanding as we cooperate with the infinite. When we witness grace in action, coursing through our life like a mighty river, any doubts we may have had about the greater reality, with a capital R, are dispelled. We are lifted up, carried to a new understanding, as we cooperate with the infinite. Once again, Chris Johnstone, I'm really delighted you could join me today on the Yoga Hour to discuss your amazing book, the revised edition of your book, Active Hope, How to Face the Mess We're In with Unexpected Resilience and Creative Power. Your book was originally published in 2012, and this revised edition was published in this year, 2022. I was inspired by the dedication of the book, <clears throat> which reads, This book is dedicated to the flourishing of life on this rare and precious earth and to the role each of us can play in responding to our planetary emergency. And I read that again. This book is dedicated to the flourishing of life on this rare and precious earth and to the role each of us can play in responding to our planetary emergency. I wanted to begin by asking you, what was the impetus to write the book originally? Thank you, Laurel. And I'm so pleased you picked up on that dedication because that's the impetus. That's the impetus that really led to this book. We're dedicated to the, the flourishing of life. You know, we'd love things to go well. And also we live at a time where there's threats to that. We are living in a time of what biologists are describing as the sixth mass extinction event. And and how do we respond to that? And I am um, really since my teenage years, I've been alarmed by some of the things that I've seen happening in our world and being really interested in natural history, the um, decline of uh, ecosystems, like seeing pictures and television documentaries of 
rivers just with loads of dead fish floating on them. And then when I was a medical student, my training to be a doctor, I spent some time in Sri Lanka um, and witnessed the reality of human starvation, uh, uh, working at a centre for abandoned malnourished children. And, and it was shocking, really shocking. And I also kind of scratched my head because as well as living at this time of such great threats and challenges and particularly back then this was in the 1980s it was a time of intense superpower tension i used to have nightmares about the prospect of a nuclear exchange and um i thought you know why aren't more people doing something why aren't people kind of like really dedicating themselves on a mass well-developed scale you know why isn't this the main project of humanity and it seemed to be like a sideshow and there's so many other things that seem to be given much more importance, particularly what certain celebrities were wearing and who was going out with who and, you know, that kind of thing. And one of the few people I saw really addressing this question of what makes it difficult to look at what's going on was Joanna Macy. And I was lucky to come across her work in the early 1980s, early in mid mid 1980s. I, I first experienced a workshop based on her work and then in 1989, I spent a week with her in Scotland. It was one of those life-changing moments. And, I, um, and it, as a result of that week, but also some work I'd done with Joanna's colleagues in the UK, particularly Pat Fleming and Helenka Siroda, two very experienced facilitators, I thought, this is what needs to happen. And these were people running workshops that gave space for us to digest emotionally the mm. disturbing realities we face mm -hmm. because i think you can ingest information but you need to kind of digest digest is where it moves to a deeper level inside you where it really sinks in what it means and sometimes that brings up uncomfortable feelings it's a bit like grief you know you can be aware of a loss but to actually take on board emotionally that loss there's a kind of emotional catching up process required and that's what these workshops gave time for and i was so moved by this work i felt energized by it i felt that it strengthened my sense of possibility when facing bleak situations i thought this is it this is what i want to give my life to and so i trained in group facilitation and I apprenticed myself to some of the leading facilitators and I um, began working closely with Joanna Macy back from then back in the late 1980s so the impetus was a roll on a period of time in the um, 2008 Joanna Macy was going to come to the UK and by then I'd been working with her about 20 years and I just had a sense that I wanted to interview her with a, a, a recorder. It was like a little mini disc recorder in those days, because I'd done a recording with her some years earlier and it had just been very helpful. And I thought, let's have let, let's book a time. And Joanna was 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 up for that. And so it was actually when Joanna came to visit me when I lived in Bristol at the time. And we set up the recorder and, and what I wanted to ask are, what have you learnt? that helps us face crisis in our world and give our best response. 
And and it started as me interviewing Joanna, but it developed much more into a two-way conversation where we were exploring together what we'd worked from working closely for 20 years together. I've been very involved in the, the body of work she's developed, the work that reconnects. I've been running workshops and training facilitators in the UK. And, and so it was a sharing, really holding this question, what helps? What have we learned? that helps us face the crisis in the world, concerns about the world and give our best response. And so much came out of that conversation that afterwards I thought we, we need to have more of these. And then I pitched to Joanna the idea of how would it be to have a collection of these conversations and transcribe them and develop it into a book of conversations on, on what we'd learnt. And, it's like you start with a seed and you plant it and you think it's going to be one thing and it grows into something else. So we yeah. thought it was might, might be a collection of conversations, but it turned into active hope. And here we are, you know, it's been out 10 years. It's published in 14 languages spread throughout the world. And we've now developed the new edition. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I am so pleased that you did develop the revised edition because that's how it came to um, my awareness. I had not been aware of the book before. And, and as you and I were chatting uh, just a few moments before we started our conversation today, um, I think it is such an important book and it's such a uh, it's such a hopeful book, which is the title Active Hope. So maybe that's where we'll go next. So what is Active Hope? So it's interesting that um, hope has different meanings. And one is about hopefulness, which is often a sense that things are going to work out well. You know, you can feel hopeful that things are going to work out like this rather than that. And actually, one of the reasons we felt we needed to revise the book was that we felt that whatever hopes we might have had 10 years ago, the situation is more bleak and there's less grounds for hopefulness these days. And if anything, we're facing a crisis of hope that when people look into the future, surveys have been done where they ask people, do you feel the future's getting better or worse? And lots of surveys have been done that show a very strong majority of people thinking the future is getting worse. There was a big study of over 10,000 young people recently where a majority of them thought that humanity was doomed. So there's a kind of crisis of hope. But I think there's a difference between being hopeful and hope inspired. Yes. And I say what I mean by that. So hopeful is I'm full of hope. I think things might, you know, have a sense that things are going well. It's kind of linked with optimism. But hope inspired is about knowing what I hope for and being inspired to take action to head that way. And it's seeing hope more rather than are you hopeful, it's what do you hope for? Mm -hmm. What do you hope for? And what can you do, not just to sit in an armchair and think, yes, it would be nice if, but active hope is where we put our lives behind our hopes. We put our actions and our choices behind our hopes. We say, okay, if I hope for that, what can I do to make that more likely? 
what can I do to head in that direction? And I'd love to say, what can I do to make that happen? But some of these things, they're so much bigger than we are. We can't make them happen. You know, I'd love to have an end to um, starvation in the world and have kind of climate stability. And uh, But I can't make that happen. But I can head in that direction. I can say, what makes that more likely? What heads that way? And one of the big questions that we look at in Active Hope is, what happens through you? What I mean by that is larger stories happen through us, larger historical processes happen through us. We could say that the six mass extinction event is happening through our choices and actions collectively. But also there's an idea that consciousness is like a, a choice making capacity right. where we can choose the direction of what that we can choose a direction of flow. We can choose whether we head this way or we head that way. And one of the dominant stories that we look at is this idea of the great turning. And one of the changes that we've looked at was partly because I was encountering a lot of hopelessness about this idea of the great turning. We talk about the great turning as a larger historical process of becoming aware of the problem and then a massive transformation, a historical process on the scale of maybe the Renaissance or the scientific revolution, where there's big changes that are composed of lots and lots of smaller changes made by people choosing to go this way rather than that way, become interested in this rather than that. And um, I, I love the idea of what, 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 what I came across was people saying, well, that's a lovely idea, but I can't see it happening. You know, things of anything are turning towards the worse and worse. And so we thought, well, what's needed is a shift in emphasis from outcome. Outcome is will it happen and when and how quickly and will it be in time? And there's a lot, a lack of hope around that. And, and certainly I feel that sometimes. But what do I hope for? You know, do I hope it will happen in time? Yes, I do. Mm-hmm. And, and if I hope there will be a great turning, the shift is from outcome to will it happen to process, which is what are the steps that help it happen? Mm-hmm. If the great turning was happening through us right now, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what would we be turning up for? Mm-hmm. What would we be turning away from? And what would we be turning towards? Mm-hmm. And what we're doing there is we're making the great turning a doable thing. Mm-hmm. rather than some distant historical process that may or may not happen the way we want it to. Mm-hmm. It's living alive in a moment-to-moment basis. You're turning towards me. You're turning towards the book. You're recognising that there's things in your life and our culture and society that you'd love us and you choose personally, I'm sure, to turn away from. And there's things that you're turning towards. That's what this whole podcast series is about. How do we turn towards? Uh, I I love some of the things you said at the beginning, by the way. <laughs> I love it when you you talked about we never know our potential until we encounter a situation where it's required. Yes, right. Now, if we were to turn towards that, and if, and if we were also saying, okay, that sounds very nice, but as a process what would that look like if it happened through us now 
Right. Now, I really want to get back to the great turning, but I didn't want to to, to go uh, over. I didn't want to step over the other two stories, because when I was reading your book, this was something that was very important for me to realize you're describing there's three different stories, three different narratives that are happening right now in the world. And I actually found that it was it actually activated hope in me to realize this, that there are these three stories. So the three stories are the great unraveling. And I think anyone who looks around our life <laughs> right now can see that great unraveling and we can you know point to all these different things certainly the pandemic you know the death the the changes that everyone has had to make in their lives you know etc certainly ecology which you've already touched on and then there are all these like social and political things that are going on as well and then business as usual so can you just talk a little bit more about those two and then i want to get back to the great turning Sure. So this is particularly inspired by an article written by David Corton, and he asked the question, how will future generations look upon this time? And it's possible that they'll look upon this as the time of the great unraveling where everything fell apart. And it wasn't just falling apart in a passive way, it's actively pulled apart by the way that we live. You know, we're the kind of the age of great vandalism, of destroying so much and falling apart and also turning against each other in so many ways as well. But another possibility is that maybe future generations will look back on this as the time we really got our act together. The time of the great turning where we turn towards uh, a, a more that, that supporting the flourishing of life on this planet. Right. Yeah. And, and so I, I find that very helpful. And certainly within Joanna Macy's work, she was the person who introduced me to the term the great turning as a and I find it such an inspiring story. But also what I notice around me is that actually a huge proportion of the world's attention is and certainly the world's political leaders and mass media is telling a different story you know you look at most soaps and they barely mention things like climate change they very rarely address some of the important social issues around injustice in our society the huge divisions between the haves and the have-nots the fact that hundreds of millions of people are starving and have been every year for as long as i've been alive you know it's kind of um that, that these great tragedies are just kind of airbrushed out of reality and it's much more about career success you know get ahead anybody can make it and that that's the business as usual is basically the core idea is that we can carry on doing our business the way we usually do mm -hmm. and that's been the dominant narrative of political leaders they talk about uh, economic growth as the kind of prime thing to aim for but also economic growth building economies generally is linked to um, producing more goods and consuming more stuff and when you consume more stuff you use up more materials and you also generate more waste yet we're developing crises and particularly energy crisis around the moment around access to energy supplies but we're also having a pollution crisis because toxic waste products at very high doses is the carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gases given off by the, the, the energy um, usage of 
burning fossil fuels. And, and so we live in this overheated planet. And we're seeing that happen with the wildfires that are happening, particularly in uh, many parts of the states, the extreme heat waves that there have been. You know, they're, they're basically in Australia. They've had to redraw the maps when they have temperature maps and add a new color for when they have these different colors or different temperatures because parts of Australia are hotter than has ever even been thought lightly before. Yeah. And, and and so this is a direction that we're heading in with the impact on um, crops and rain-fed agriculture. And anyway, so that's the unraveling. You're aware of it. So, so business as usual is we can carry on the same old way. The great unraveling is that it's all falling apart. And both of those things, you can say, well, they are happening. But I love adventure stories and adventure stories often begin with chapter one. It looks awful. You know, the beginning of chapter one, it's fine. But then gradually there's a, a kind of a disaster process threat that's introduced. And however bad it is at chapter one, it tends to get worse and worse. You know, and there's what I think of as chapter seven moments, chapter seven moments where it just all seems completely hopeless and lost. But one of the things that happens in adventures are, are turning points. Mm -hmm. And also they happen in life too. I often ask people whether they've reached a point where they just um, thought something would never happen. You know, they just lost hope, uh, completely lost hope of anything working out a particular way, but then some while later find themselves doing it. And so often you hear people, you know, in their 50s, they started marathon running. I never thought I'd be able to do that. Somebody who wasn't able to swim, later adult life, learnt, learnt to swim. Somebody who left school at a very early age and had never been interested in education, then going on in later life to um, go on a, a serious process of education and um, going far with that. And so I, I love the expression, we can sometimes surprise ourselves. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's that quote, we never know our potential until we encounter a situation where it's required. It's like there are turning points in adventure stories. There are turning points in life. And what would it be like to have a story of a great turning where on a collective basis, it looked like we were just heading down the pan, whatever the expression is, over the edge of a cliff, you know, heading in a disaster direction. But somehow there was a tipping point of awareness where we really got it and we woke up and we said i want to play my bit and do, you know i want to find my part i want to give it all i've got getting back to the fact that there are these three narratives um that in it in and of itself was very hopeful to me so that everyone in the news every day is going to see the first two so see the great unraveling because that's what we see on and on uh, um you know news shows as i mentioned uh in the newspapers you know we get alerts you know on our social media about whatever's happening and it's it it tends to be the disasters right and sometimes it's difficult to look at it because it's so overwhelming and it uh it when I am in that place, it's very, very far from feeling either active or or having any hope. <laughs> uh, 
Um, and yet when you write in the book about the great turning, one of the things that you mentioned was, and I, I didn't uh, make a note of exactly um, who was saying this, but there was someone who was looking at hoping to find 100,000 um, organizations that were working to improve uh, the world. And he said, actually, he was off by a factor of 10 and ended up finding actually more than a million and perhaps even 2 million of organizations worldwide that were working for this. So that is the, that's part of the great turning. And as you mentioned, it's difficult to see. One of the things you write about in the book is, you know, is pixels. When we look at a, you know, newspaper photo, it's just these dots and we have to step back in order to be able to see it. Um, Anyway, it was just very encouraging to me to realize that right now we are in a place where we have these three overlapping narratives. So did you want to say more about that or did I steal your thunder? Yeah, no, no. I, it's lovely to hear you. And what I particularly appreciate hearing is, is and often ask people say, well, what do you find helpful? And when we hear each other describe what we find helpful, it's like we, we it's like putting a, a highlighter pen through it. You know, it kind of sinks a level deeper inside us. And I think it's one of the most important conversations we need to be having in these times is coming together and saying, hey, have you come across anything you're finding helpful just recently? And we say, yeah, what I'm finding helpful is this. And that was my initial question to Joanna, you know, like, what have you found helpful? What have you learned? And when we share our learnings and sharing what we find helpful, um, we we strengthen that. And so... Um, one thing I'd really like to pick up with these three choices, sorry, these three stories, is I think the, the punchline is that we have choice what we lean into. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm aware that actually I play a role in all three stories. There's times where I'm behaving in a more business as usual way. There's times where I do things that contribute to the unraveling. You know, I use more plastic than I'd like to. I'd really like to dramatically reduce my plastic use and plastic waste, but it's very difficult in the shopping system as it is to completely step back from that. But I can also, I can turn up with an intention to play my part. I can look at where are the choice points so I can turn away from excess packaging and turn towards a, a, a less harmful way. And that is the great turning. So we can, we can choose what story we want to get behind. We can choose what story we want to inhabit more. And also this is a process. It doesn't happen all at once. And this is why I love the phrase, I might come back to it again at different points, the idea of project active hope is where we see active hope it it's like yoga you know yoga is a practice for well-being that you you can have a daily practice you do every day and each particular single piece of yoga is not going to necessarily be the thing that does it but having a dedication to a practice you get benefits that build up over time and it's the same with active active hope i see active hope as a practice for collective well-being that we can engage in every day mm -hmm. and when we do this question what happens through me it's like okay I, I when i'm doing active hope every day when every day i'm playing act i'm taking active steps in support of my hopes then it's like i'm a dot in the larger picture of the great turning you know, what's happening through me, the larger story of the great turning is happening through me more. Yeah. And so if I take it on as a project, then I 
I help that happen more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so beautiful. Um, we are just a, a little past the midpoint, and I wanted to remind listeners, I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, host and producer of the Yoga Hour podcast. Today, I'm here with Dr. Chris Johnstone, who's co-author with Joanna Macy of the book we're discussing today, Active Hope, How to Face the Mess We're In with Unexpected Resilience and Creative Power. Chris's website is chrisjohnstone.info, and his other one, activehope.info. And Joanna Macy's website is joannamacy.net. Joanna is with two N's, so J-O-A-N-N-A, Macy.net. We will also have these links on our website, theyogahour.com. We welcome your comments and questions. You can contact us via that website, theyogahour.com, where you can also sign up for our mailing list. Okay, Chris, the book is divided into three parts. The Great Turning, which we've talked a little bit about seeing with new eyes and going forth. And I wanted to touch briefly on all three. There's a poem on page 35. And I was, uh, I really enjoyed that. And I, I thought it would be helpful for you to read that uh, to us. It's about active hope. Active hope is not wishful thinking. Active hope is not waiting to be rescued by the Lone Ranger or some savior. Active hope is waking up to the beauty of life on whose behalf we can act. We belong to this world. The web of life is calling us forth at this time. We've come a long way and are here to play our part. With active hope, we realize that there are adventures in store, strengths to discover and comrades to link arms with. Active hope is a readiness to engage. Active hope is a readiness to discover the strengths in ourselves and in others, a readiness to discover the reasons for hope and the occasions for love. A readiness to discover the size and strengths of our heart, our quickness of mind, our steadiness of purpose, our own authority, our love for life, the liveliness of our curiosity, the unsuspected deep well of patience and diligence, the keenness of our senses and our capacity to lead. None of these can be discovered in an armchair or without risk. Really lovely. Thank you. Thank you for reading that for us. So when we we talked a bit about the great turning, um, when you write about seeing with new eyes, and in, in particular, I think this is where the expanded sense of self came from. So would you say a bit about that? Yeah, so so first of all, coming back to the subtitle, Active Hope, how to face the mess we're in with unexpected resilience and creative power. And so really our purpose with this book is to offer a strengthening, transformative process that puts us in a stronger position to face challenges and concerns that can sometimes feel overwhelming, but from a a kind of more steady place that's more deeply rooted in the larger life of which we're part so that we can really have a sense of rising to the occasion and playing our part and so in that journey there's there's some um, 
a spiral and a spiral is something that repeats itself but is never quite the same and so it's not just a circle that is just the same each time it's like a spiral is like there's a kind of deepening process each time you go around of, of there's four elements in that and the first is gratitude if we're going to look at something that's difficult it helps to resource ourselves first but also gratitude is a social emotion that points our attention outwards beyond ourselves and reminds us that we're not alone and that there is help and uh, um, people out there not just people entities out there beings out there that are um, acting in our interests and offering and I think when we have that sense we feel more inclined to give back we feel more inclined to reciprocate so gratitude starting point and then honoring our pain for the world really giving space to name the ouch uh that the kind of the grieving the uh, anxiety the alarm that i think of it as being stirred and shaken in a way that rouses us to play our part and and i think that these first two are about being present having our eyes and minds and hearts open to what's going on, both the beauty, what we appreciate, and also the torment and anguish and the, the, the disturbance and threat and danger in our times. But then comes the question, okay, I'd love to go and play my part. And that's the going forth step. But very often we can have a sense of I'd love to, but I'm not sure if I can. You know, I'd love to be able to do something about the world, but who am I? I'm just this tiny little person and these problems are so huge. And so there's a, there's, I think of it as a quest of seeking out encouraging perspectives and resources that help us feel a greater sense of possibility. And that's this uh, opening with new eyes that you can have a sense of like, how does a turning point happen in my my sense of possibility how does a turning point happen in my belief that i can actually make a meaningful difference and that's where we look at and, and go on this journey and so this middle part of the book uh, seeing with new eyes we also call it the four discoveries and uh, four discoveries there's four areas that when we look at with a kind of fresh set of eyes we can see them in a different way and, and the first of those is self. What do we mean by self? So we say, you know, because some people say, like, what's the point? You know, human nature, we're, we're by nature, we're selfish. And people are so selfish that we're doomed to basically squabble and fight for until the end of our days. And there's no hope of anything different. So that, that's a common view I encounter. But it's so interesting, really, because um, self you can look at with a fresh pair of eyes and one of the biggest distinctions is personal self and connected self you know or separate self and connected self so my name chris johnston there's two sides of that there's chris which is about me but johnston that's a family name and a family name refers to a shared identity a, an identity shared with others and what we feel identification with we also feel belonging to and loyalty towards and one of the biggest um, insights is that identity has layers to it 
So as well as personal self, there's family self. We maybe have other layers of our identity. You may say, well, I, you know, who am I? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm this, I'm that. I, I, I'm, I live in Scotland. I'm, I, I feel I'm part of Europe. Uh, I am human. I, I'm, I'm a man. You know, there's all kinds of groupings that I belong to where there's an us rather than a me. And wherever there's an us, there's a potential for solidarity and for mutual support and for a kind of drawing out a different story about what life is about rather than a kind of a, a race to the top in a competitive battle to get more and get better than any, anyone else. And actually the squabble mode to life of battling to climb to the top of things actually can leave people incredibly isolated, can leave people feeling actually that there's no real depth of meaning and purpose. Whereas the depth of meaning and purpose and really many of the most valuable things in life, you know, I think of love, loyalty, friendship, connectedness, mm -hmm. purpose, these are all things that really add so much to our lives and the research on well-being also shows how deeply important they are that um that they add life to years and years to life mm -hmm. but also that I mean, yeah just you know as a physician <clears throat> and i know you are one as well you know that social connectedness does actually have a you know longevity benefit people who are part of groups live longer than people who aren't part of groups, which I think is, is just, it's very, very interesting. And it's, it's harder to um, incorporate that into medical care. I think um, if a visit is, you know, at 15 or 20 minutes at most, you know, it's hard to talk about everything with people, but you know, uh, it is, uh, it's aptly demonstrated again and again and again, many, many studies at this point that show that connectedness is a longevity factor. So I'm sorry to interrupt. Yeah. Go ahead. No, no. And and I delight in our sharing of this perception that actually that some of the most important things for well-being can get missed out completely if you're just saying, how can I help you as in looking at one person ahead of you? And if we change from how can I help you to how can I help us to how can we together help us? we actually come to a whole different story about what supports well-being and if we want to support the flourishing of self then we need to say well actually what do i mean by that and uh, it's i there's myself but there's also ourselves and how do we work together and this is why joanna macy's work the, the, this lovely term the work that reconnects is about plugging back in Mm -hmm. It's about saying, hey, I'm part of something. And and so that's another great question. I love that. You know, what am I part of? What do I belong to? If I was rooted in something larger than myself that brings greater meaning and purpose and direction to my life, what would that be? What's important to me? What's so important that I care about its well-being even after I'm dead? And and then we come into a larger story and, and actually what happens, each of these four discoveries, they link to each other. So the first is about self, but the second is about power. And there's what can I do? But there's a lovely saying, I worked for years in addictions recovery work and a lot of it was group based. And um, there's a saying in addictions recovery groups, they say, I can't, 
we can. Mm. That when people are facing something that feels bigger and stronger than they are, this powerful addiction, to actually feel that you're part of an us, a recovery group of support. I remember someone saying, said, I had such a difficult weekend, but I remembered the group and it gave me strength. And I wonder what would happen, you know, we look at the disturbing news about climate change or the polarization and divisiveness in societies and people being at each other's throats and saying, well, okay, what's the larger us that I belong to? Mm-hmm. And this is also a change in the new edition. We've introduced a new term, which is that we are planet people. Mm. We are planet people. This is part of our identity. You know, you can, uh, I'm from a different country to you, but we've got also lots of aspects of our identity that are in common. We both wear glasses, you know, kind of like we're people who wear glasses. But, you know, there's all kinds of things that we can have in common. We say, well, we talk about us rather than me and you or us and them. And we say, what's our deeper levels of belonging that we share? So, okay, we're a planet people. But also looking at our power to make a difference, this idea of there's power over as in controlling and dominating, but there's power with, which is about recognizing that we're never by ourselves and no action is ever by itself. It's always with something else. And that when you get actions coming together in a way that some with synergy, synergy is where you get different parts acting together to create something different from if they acted alone so for example two people singing you can get harmony that wasn't there when you can listen to one person singing you can know everything about that you can listen to someone else singing, you know everything about that but be entirely surprised by the beauty that emerges when they're singing together and harmony emerges and there's an equation we use for this we call it one plus one equals two and a bit so um there's you know one voice plus another voice you still have two voices but there's and a bit there's something new that wasn't there before and and what this does is it actually opens a way of thinking about novelty novelty in the universe that sometimes people can say well it's you know we we can see how it's going to go um because of this therefore that because humans are selfish we're going to battle it out and be we've got all these weapons and we'll blow each other up or whatever it is or we use up our resources or we'll trash the world but novelty is like saying well okay you know it may look bleak but there's this radical uncertainty of not knowing exactly how things will go there may be a surprise just waiting for us or maybe that we will surprise ourselves with what we discover and so this and a bit it tends to emerge more reliably out of interaction with different elements and 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 the whole book came out of this joanna and i talking together we spent huge numbers of hours talking over uh, it was skype initially and then over zoom you know on different um continents but out of conversation this this book emerged that wasn't there before which i i am very very grateful for so thank you for that just a couple of my thoughts as you were you know talking about these two aspects so one was about self you know and and changing our view of of self beyond ourselves you know to the extent of us being planet people you know so that interconnectedness so one was that um i wanted to just 
give a shout out to yoga philosophy, which is really about unit. I mean, the word yoga, Sanskrit word yoga really means union or unity. And it really is about the oneness. It's the oneness that connects everyone. And those experiences that we have often in nature, but sometimes might be with, you know, being around a, a baby or something else will trigger this connection, that feeling of connection that deep down we know we are connected. So to me, that's, that's yoga. That's the, you know, that's the yoga, you know, philosophical view, which would uh, totally, you know, encompass everything that you mentioned in terms of us all being, you know, part of, uh, of this earth. Um, the other thing that I that what I was brought to mind was uh, you had written about uh, Thich Nhat Hanh and holding up a piece of paper and just the way it was described was a little bit different than I had than I had you know read before and his his and I'm just paraphrasing so because I didn't write this down but um, you know it, 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 can you see the cloud in the paper because the cloud without the cloud bringing the water you know, without the rain to grow the trees, without the, you know, trees, there wouldn't be a, a paper. And I'm sure there's also lots of people on the in-between steps, there needs to be someone to, you know, harvest it and someone to, in you know, many, many hands to make the paper. And, you know, this in, interbeing is, I think, what he calls it, you know, but just to realize that in deep interconnectedness that we have with each other and, and with the earth. So... I, I didn't want to interrupt you, but I yeah, had no, those two things to add. And um, it's fantastic because what you're recognizing is that the stream of practice and understanding that you've been involved in, I'm sure for decades, I'm, I'm guessing, um, that you kind of recognize a kind of like, yeah, I've been on this for a long while. <laughs> yes. and, and, and this idea that we're not so separate from each other is actually very familiar to a number of different traditions. It's yeah. it's right at the heart of many indigenous, mm -hmm. uh, earth-centered uh, spiritual traditions. Yeah. Um, and Joanna Macy herself, she's been a, a teacher of world religions, but also deeply involved in Tibetan Buddhism, really going back to 1970s or, you know, a long, long um, involvement with that. And and she brings in, a, and, and this is why I love of, um Joanna and I working together this one plus one equals two and a bit because we 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 bring different traditions I'm more from uh, medical background and uh, psychology and um, looking at the science of behavior change and Joanna having this deeply rooted um long term serious study of world religions and particularly uh, Tibetan Buddhism and that she, she did a PhD on looking at systems thinking, which is a kind of scientific view of interconnectedness with Tibetan Buddhism and really saying there's such a lot of parallel. And that was also what drew me in because my background also is in the holistic healthcare movements and uh, very influenced by systems thinking and particularly books like uh, The Turning Point by Fritjof Capra. I felt very at home in and also felt this deep sense of um, arrival of yeah this is familiar to me this makes sense to me and also i found in joanna's work it took me some steps further too yeah yeah it's uh, funny uh, you were talking about you know that we're, we're both physicians we both wear glasses and we both have an interest in holistic health so we're, you know and in, in expanding our you know our view of health and healing beyond you know the west current western medical kind of paradigm 
there's just a couple more minutes. Um, and I, I thought it actually would be useful to, um, to leave listeners with, with something. Um, and so I was actually, I'd opened my book to page 41, which has the, the seven sentence starters in support of active hope. And I thought maybe we could do those. Um, did you want to read them or do you want me to? Yeah, and just to say, I love this. We've actually used this practice with thousands of people. We've got a free video-based online course in Active Hope at activehope.training. And we, we introduce a, a series yeah. of practices it's, it, it comes out in uh, installments over seven weeks. And so each week there's a new practice. And this is our starting practice that we uh, encourage people to um, try out. And so we've had really great feedback around this. And I, I, I'm so pleased that you're introducing this now, inviting me to. So if you're listening to this, make a note of these and try it out. And you can do it as a personal practice but you can also do it as a conversational partnered practice. And there's seven sentence starters. So there's a beginning of a sentence and you see where it goes. I don't know if you've got time, Laurel, to maybe have a sentence or two in reply to each of these, if I say. So the first one is just saying, I love. See yeah. that as a starting point where it takes you. I love. Uh, I love my new granddaughter who was just born last Friday. Fantastic. And so we often give each other a minute or more on each one. The short form, just like, you know, you can just have one sentence, but we if you have a bit we longer, have, we just don't a, have minute. a minute. We don't have but, a minute, unfortunately, so it'll have to be a little quicker. But I did. I love the idea of these questions. So I love. I'd like to thank. I'd like to thank you for this book and being on this program. And looking at the future we're heading into. My concerns include mm. oh, so many um, uh, changes uh, to the earth, to you know what's happening that I can see daily, of you know melting glaciers and increased heat and oh, just on and on. Facing these concerns, mm. what inspires me is. Mm. Um, my granddaughter. Thinking and about, looking thinking about the light, the uh, world that I want her to have. Thank you. Looking at the future we're heading into, what I deeply hope for is that the turning point will happen quickly enough. <laughs> and a part I'd like to play in support of this is. Um, there are so many things I could say. Um, I would say continuing to drive my, uh, my uh, uh, hybrid uh, electric car <laughs> that mostly I run on electricity. And a step I'll take towards this in the next week is? Mm, I just had written away, I want to re reduce plastic. And so I had just written, um, just received these uh, wax, these bees wax wrappers that I'm hoping to replace uh, plastic bags with over this next week. <laughs> Fantastic. And that's the great turning happening through you. Yeah. yeah. Whew. So as we close the program today, what words of inspiration or encouragement would you like to leave with our listeners? 
I'd encourage people to go back to those seven sentence starters and give them a try. They're in the book. They're also, um, there's a video of it at activehope.info. If you look for the videos there, we've got a video demonstration giving a bit longer, but just, just actually rewinding and listening to what you just did just then, Laurel. So that's one encouragement. But also what I find so encouraging and, and said it earlier, but it's just this idea of we can surprise ourselves. And so if you hope that will happen, how can you be active in making that more likely? Mm. So beautiful. And with that, you've been listening to the Yoga Hour. It's been my pleasure to share this time with you. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, producer and host of the Yoga Hour podcast. My guest today has been Chris Johnstone. Chris is a physician and is the co-author with Joanna Macy of the book we are speaking of today, Active Hope, How to Face the Mess We're In with Unexpected Resilience and Creative Power. Chris is the co-director of activehope.training, a nonprofit organization offering online courses that help people grow into their own resilience and increase their capacity to make a difference in the world. Once again, his website, chrisjohnstone.info, and also, um, what's the other one, Chris? I don't have it in front of me. Activehope.info. Activehope.info. Joanna Macy's website is joannamacy.net. Those links will also be on our website, theyogahour.com. Thank you so much, Chris Johnstone, for joining me today on The Yoga Hour. For listeners. Thank you, Laurel. For listeners, we hope you'll join us for the many online programs offered by the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, the sponsor of this podcast. Currently, there's daily online meditation in the morning from 6.30 to 7.30 a.m. This is Pacific time, the afternoon at 4 p.m., and then Monday evenings at 7.30. There's also a Sunday satsang. Satsang means a gathering of truth seekers. Um, to come together online and in person. It's 10 a.m. each week, again, Pacific time on Sunday. Um, you can go to the website, csecenter.org. Again, Center for Spiritual Enlightenment is the group, csecenter.org, for more information. Join us next time on the Yoga Hour when Yogacharya O'Brien, our founder and spiritual director, will be joining us to discuss how to live life to the fullest and how we can thrive and be vital in the third stage of life. She will be offering a three-day retreat online or in person at CSE on this very topic, October 6th through the 8th. The Yoga Hour is a service project of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, Meditation Center in the Kriya Yoga tradition. Remember to subscribe to the Yoga Hour podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're enjoying the show, share it with a friend. Thanks to the Yoga Hour team, founder and spiritual director, Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien, assistant producers, Anne Hayes, Mickey Coronado, and Christine Soap. I look forward to being with you again. Until then, remember, you carry your own healing and wholeness within you. Share your peace and joy with all you meet. Bye now.